listening to the podcast Advertising Playbook, your resource to better understand and execute successful podcast ad campaigns. Hello and welcome to the podcast Advertising Playbook. I'm your host, Heather Osgood, and I am joined today by Mike Jensen. Mike is the CEO of Rhapsody Voices. Now, Mike has quite a history in podcast advertising and in the podcast space in general, so I'm super excited to have him on the show today. Mike, welcome to the program. Thank you very much for having me. And let me just say, longtime listener and viewer, first time being interviewed. So uh, really grateful for the opportunity. Yeah, it's great to have you here. And gosh, I feel like you and I have known each other for many years, but I know we've we've been trying to work on getting this conversation for a while. And I'm just excited that we were able to connect and make it happen. And pretty cool that it's around really the launch of your new company, Rhapsody Voices. Can you tell us a little bit about the company and what you guys are, are doing? Sure. Rhapsody Voice is, is really, I think, for our DNA, is really the connectivity of representing shows for monetization, but also working on content strategies and even production and cross-marketing of those shows. I think there's a lot of shows with pretty considerable audiences that fill big stadiums or small stadiums, but maybe they don't fill... Uh, Dodger Stadium in every instance, and they they deserve to have a lot of cross-marketing and direction around strategy. And that includes monetization, but also potentially around other aspects to make that show the best show possible. And so I think that's where we're going to be able to continue to have success and, and really build uh, and build a valuable company for content creators. Yeah, I think one of the things I love so much about what you're doing is that the monetization piece is there, which is so important and obviously a big part of the conversation that we're having today. But it's great that you are helping the content creator because I feel like there are so many great podcasts that are out there waiting to be made or podcasts maybe that have even gotten started that really just need a helping hand. And the fact that you are able to do both sides, that you're looking at it from a content perspective as well as a monetization perspective, I feel like really helps with kind of the rounding of all of the services that you're doing. And from an advertising standpoint, I think you know the content really well when you're the one producing it. Obviously, we have these companies out there where you could go and they're representing thousands of different podcasts for advertising, which is cool and great, but they don't know that content as intimately as you will know the content that you're selling. How do you feel like that might position your company to provide maybe a different level of advertising service? That's a great question. I think when I was researching coming on your show, there's there's so much background and education and your company has a great job of educating content creators on the opportunities and best practices. When I look at Rhapsody Voices, I think about a program that we're putting together this week where we're working with a creator that already has an established audience, but they're moving more into specific podcasting with a multi-channel initiative. And part of what we're doing in development is for them to have a producer for a select number of hours a month, because it's a little different than the, the content that they've developed um, previously, which has some of its roots in YouTube. And thinking about, okay, well, this is a long form and we want to think about how to best develop the show. And I want to create a producer to figure out ideas, but not necessarily is it needed full time. So it's uh, 
it's sort of a consultancy in that way. And I think that's, you know, a unique tool. And you say, okay, well, what's the impact of that for sponsorship? Well, it's simply around engaging that audience and making sure that that audience is engaged for a longer show, which in most cases podcasts is, whether it be 15 minutes or 45 minutes, we need to make sure the content has that strong listen through rate because we want to make sure all those ads are heard. So that's where I think that kind of development of the show and saying, hey, podcasting tends to be a little bit longer form. We're going to be doing it across audio and video. Let's make sure that we're mapping and we're looking at analytics so that every one of the sponsorships that are in that show are heard and that you're building an audience. I'm sure it's done elsewhere, but I think it's a focus of ours at Rhapsody. (laughs) Yeah, I think that that's so wonderful. And I also just love that you're bringing in this multi-channel approach. So you're doing the podcasting, but it sounds like you also really have your hands in video, uh, in particular, probably YouTube. So tell us a little bit more about that. Are you doing multi-channel? We are doing multi-channel. I also think from from the perspective of podcasting, things are changing rapidly. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, when I started um, to work more on both the content and the sponsorship side, it was more of a DNA of like, you're going to come into the studio and then we will do the podcast and maybe the podcast will be audio and video. And I think it's accelerated to the point where I'm partnered with a number of different um, experienced production houses and personnel that have done a lot of premium podcasts. And they do a great job now of developing remote kits where the audio and the video are a capability and it doesn't require that um, content creator to go in studio. There are certainly certain situations where I think in studio, especially with hosts together and that mm-hmm. synergy where it helps for them to be in that room together. But I think there's a lot of growth in the remote studio that can be multi-channel and well done. And we all know that the multi-channel provides for an opportunity for audience growth. I don't love it in all instances. I think some shows are, have more authenticity and it just depends on the content creator or the content to be audio only. So I don't want this to be a, hey, we're only going to make video and audio now. But I do think it's a lot easier to develop and provide content creators the solutions for both audio and video mm-hmm. without them necessarily having to be even in the same location. And I think that's going to be a rapid growth opportunity for our space overall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You said something that I think is really important is that not all podcasts have to be video. I think we're pushing so hard on the video aspect of it. And I definitely see the opportunities for video. I mean, we're recording this in video right now and we'll definitely be distributing it in video form. But the reality is, is that not every podcast also needs to be a video and really looking at that content, maybe also looking at the strengths of the content creator might make you decide hey, this is going to be good in a video format or maybe not. And it's it's amazing that, you know, we have been able to make advancements that content can be created so well remotely. And, you know, we don't all have to be in studio. And I think for video, a lot of times in studio is so boring because the backgrounds are usually so, yeah. so boring. So I think that's really, really cool. Now, Mike, you've been in the podcast space really for a number of years. I know you were at iHeart, you were at Stitcher. Most recently, you've been at Cast Media. So tell us a little bit about how you got into podcasting in the first place. I want to tell my joke of, you know, I started my own company because I ran out of places to go work for. (laughs) But But you were to some of the best places. I appreciate the question. The reality is that I have been in media for dating myself 
uh, 25 years. I started AOL in 1997. So, you know, it's been a while and it's generally been in sort of like more, what I would call like more innovation in media, right? Versus traditional media. Like we were selling the first online ads at AOL, right? Both nationally and locally. But I think what happened for podcasting was in 2013, was around the time that Facebook and other platforms were dominating. And I was, I had an opportunity to take jobs that were more tech related. Um, but my mom was more of a journalist and a writer, and I was already always kind of addicted to content. And I, I, I was looking at the podcast space and this small company Stitcher, and I thought worked at like AOL and Wall Street Journal and Tribune. I'm just really like sponsorships tied to content and having the chance to work with journalists and content creators. And those were some of my favorite moments in life. And I think it was hard for me to go into a tech job. And so the podcast job was a lesser paying job as one of the original members of Stitcher. And I think it was for me thinking, you know, I really like podcasts and mm. I feel like more people should be listening to them. And I had read the original articles that Bill Simmons used to write for Digital City Boston for AOL Local. And uh, so he had a podcast. I enjoyed that. And, and I used to listen to, you know, hour and a half plus. I thought this should be something that could grow, right? And if not, at least I'm going to enjoy it. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's a long-winded answer, but it is a passionate one in that I was, I was a podcast listener and I wanted, to, I wanted to continue to be a part of content. Yeah, I think that that's the best answer because for me, when you find podcasting or any medium for that matter, and it's just something that resonates with you, those are... Like you said, you're going to be so much more passionate coming into the industry. You're going to be so interested in seeing it succeed. And, and that's one of the things I love about the podcast industry is that it really is made up of people who are just so passionate about what it is that we're doing here. And everyone really is putting their best foot forward. Or at least that's what it feels like to me. So, gosh, I feel like, you know, I've been in the industry for about seven years. You've probably been in the industry longer than that. And we've seen so many changes happen, right? So many changes to podcast advertising. Do you feel like you have a theory on podcast ads? Like when we look at the landscape today with host read ads and embedded still out there, but dynamic insertion here and with programmatic coming into the space, what's your theory on podcast advertising and really how to create success with podcast ads? Well, I think one of the things that uh, this is going to be a 20,000 foot view, but you'd have yeah. to check my numbers on this. But I think historically, when you think about audio, it was about 75%, you know, sort of music and 25% talk. But I think we're looking at over the last 10 plus years with podcasting, sort of the reinvention um, with even more choice and, and quality of audio specific content, right? Mm -hmm. And you know, we're, we're Certainly before my time, audio was a dominant player in households, right? But I'm just speaking of like what FM and M radio were, if you look back in the day in terms of the division. But I think what we provide in talk audio now, largely on demand, is probably the most choice and probably the most dynamic and creative ever. And I think you're going to see a growth and that's specific to podcasts that would be different than that 75-25, right? I think we're going to see so much interest in talk audio because we're providing so many different subgenres within what we do in podcasting. Right? There's true crime, but really true crime also has like all these sub channels of like investigative journalism, right? And what's going on with cults and what's going on in the world of like unsolved crimes. It's not just true crime. And I think as part of that, you have to recognize that 
like the host red ad and endorsements that were so powerful in in radio are going to continue in podcasting. But as we scale up and we have so much more listening of the talk side of, of audio and growth, we also need to find those vehicles. And we're doing it right now for non-host ads for, for brands that maybe don't actually necessarily need a host red ad, right? Mm -hmm. Because their products are known and it's really more about a time sensitivity and an announcement and they want to reach a certain audience. And, you know, we have to do a better job of like doing show surveys and doing attribution and making sure that we're giving a, a, a lot of data related to the audio that they're consuming. And as part of that, it's not always going to be host, but host has always been one of the more powerful. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, that I, I think that um, I think that all makes total sense. So now when we think about creating campaigns that work, it does feel like there are so many options that are out there now that an advertiser maybe who's new to the space might come in and say, like, I don't know where to start. I don't know where to begin. So if you were talking to, you know, let's say a media buyer, maybe at an agency and they had never done podcast advertising before, where would you recommend they start to kind of just decide where to advertise in podcasts or how to even go about doing it? Well, I think that one of the things that we'd want to look at immediately is sort of what we've always done in media. Like, who are you trying to reach? Mm -hmm. Right. And uh, and what's what's the value of the customer? Right. It's, is this a campaign in terms of who do you want to reach and what is success in terms of a particular campaign and product, right? Do you need a tremendous amount of volume of sales or do you need a select dedicated customer that's going to tell others about the product and, and build that audience that way? But each sale matters. Um, I think it's understanding both who you're trying to reach and the deliverables. And then we can start looking at podcast advertising. Should it be should it be host reads? Should it be maybe more targeted non-host, but maybe more volume, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and do you have select things about your brand where you need to find evangelists, right? And maybe that's where you really dive deep with host read ads and find those endorsements for those products that you think are going to be people that will tell others mm -hmm. because they're, you know, an early adopter of your kind of brand, right? And can be an evangelist for it. So I think all those tools we have, right? We have all those tools and it's just a matter of like putting a footprint together of that media plan based on what are both the goals um, mm -hmm. and what meets with success. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think that one of the things that I know we've been chatting about in this space a little is that in some ways it feels like podcasting has a bit of a PR problem, meaning that maybe a buyer had tried to buy ads in the space, you know, six years ago, five years ago, and maybe they didn't have the best experience, or maybe there's a perception of what podcast advertising has been. But it is so much more now, right? Um, there's just so many tools that people can utilize. You've mentioned several of them, but you know, you really can do targeting to a much greater extent than you used to be able to. You can get the reach that people are often wanting, but then you can also get dialed in and do more of that endorsement, host read, sponsorship piece. So there's there's so many varying degrees. And as you said, really, it's important to just start with what is it that you are wanting to accomplish? Who is that market that you're trying 
to really reach um, who is that demographic. And when you you've got a clear picture of that, I think it helps you, you know, really informs your decision about where you should go. But I just think it is so important for us to help educate buyers that there are lots of different options. What are your thoughts? Do you feel like that's maybe part of the reason sometimes we don't have more ad dollars in the space is because buyers maybe have misconceptions about what they can do with podcast ads? That's a great question. I think one of the things that we should mention and or I want to mention is, and I know that I'm preaching to the choir, but like this is the best influential, persuasive, advertising medium that I've ever sold. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've Same. put together activation campaigns where the accurate TSX is sitting outside of a of a live event that we're doing and there's ads on TV and we're tracking how many people went over to the actor like during that event, like every, every outdoor or digital or TV and print campaign I've done, I've not had anything more powerful than podcast ads, the core mid-roll and pre-roll like actually running, especially host endorsement and it causing immediate ROI. So I think that's part of the challenge is that it, it, it did that immediately. So it's great. I want more. Mm-hmm. And then I think the other element, so it's like it set the bar high immediately. Right. And so I think that's part of it. But I also think the other, the other side of it is that we're still very early on in the medium. And we talked earlier about how there is more opportunities to scale. Like I think about the media plan that we were talking about. It's like, well, you probably should have host read then also look at the medium overall and doing some reach into specific shows. And I think over the last few years, I got to a point where every show that I represent in the network and the sponsorship I'm running, we have a show survey that we do because we take advantage of that engagement and we mm-hmm. ask the host to do a show survey. And it's, when we were at the Wall Street Journal, it took ever to get surveys back of our audience. And now with podcasting, a three to five minute survey I know for my podcasts, people would be surprised. We have a, you know, we have a wrestling and culture podcast at Rhapsody Voices that does nearly half a million listeners a week between two episodes. People might be a little surprised, but we have all the data from the surveys that says 60% of that audience are researching how to change their diet. It's probably oh, really? that are like, yeah, it's probably men that are probably my age, maybe a little younger, maybe a little older. And maybe their wives said, you know what? Maybe you need to lose a little weight. I don't know what the reason is, but what I know is that that survey gives great direction on Mm -hmm. what those people might not be what you think. I think that engagement that we have with the listener allows us to really continue to get detailed information and and so that we can share a lot of data about who the listener is. We also Mm -hmm. can look at listen through and view through rates and, and guarantee to sponsors like we know it's being heard because we put it here and here's the listen through rate. I think there's probably more that we're just starting to do that maybe we weren't doing as much. And I think we're doing a good job of it. And I think that, but I think we started with, wow, these things just really are great. And so let's sell more of them. And well, no, we have to continue to innovate and provide direction on who these listeners are and maybe augment host reads with, you know, more uh, non-host and scale and things of that nature. So those are all the different tools that I think we can continue to utilize. And I'm not sure the community overall in media because it's newer, knows about all these tools, mm-hmm. right? And so I think that's where, you know, we're still gaining momentum there. And I, I think it will gain momentum. And maybe we're being impatient because we're, how many billions are we now? And we weren't a billion before. I, 
So I hear that we're at like 1.8 billion in 2022, but I believe we're supposed to get to like 2.5 billion in 2023 and then to 4 billion by 2025. So those are those are my rough off the top stats. But yes, no, I, I mean, we're definitely growing as an industry, but it is, as you said, I still I still think that there is opportunity for us to educate media buyers about the tools that are available. And as you said, I mean, I think that there is this huge range of opportunity and we can really create very specific specialized campaigns for advertisers that want that. But, you know, they they just really, I think they range. So in terms of overall strategy, do you feel like it's best to come up with a combination of host red ads and, you know, maybe interject some programmatic in there? Or do you feel like really just having that host red ad is the best place for advertisers to start? I think it really depends on the campaign. And I think we could bring a lot of people that bring more expertise in buying than even you or I have for sure. And sure. they have a different answer depending on the client, right? Yeah. And so I think that answer is oftentimes the most powerful host read. There's a cost associated with that in, in many cases. And so it's like, okay, is there a rationale for the targeting, right? Is there, does that host endorsement help? Like I, I don't, I don't want to shoot myself in the foot here, but I think in some cases, like if we, I'll just name Starbucks, right? They have a new drink coming out. I, I know my Starbucks experience and that's more <laughs> of a reminder campaign. I'm not sure a host read of Starbucks is going to persuade me more, but yeah. I think there are so many brands that are still newer to the market or maybe not as experienced in terms of like what people understand the experience to be like a Starbucks. And I think a host read is far more consideration for them, right? Because you need mm-hmm. to do some education or first person experience. So again, it just goes back to what is the specific needs today, right? Mm-hmm. And and in those cases, like depends on that, whether it's host red or or a combination of those. That's kind of a long-winded answer, but I do believe in it. And I believe in that Starbucks example. And I hope I haven't crushed us all when we were all going to get, you know, Starbucks host red ads. My apologies to everybody if I did that. I think you make totally a a great point. When I talk to advertisers, I always say like, what kind of penetration do you already have in the market, right? So like you use the example of Starbucks. Well, my guess is if we look at brand awareness, if you were to pull 10 people off the street, nine out of 10, maybe 10 out of 10 would know what Starbucks was, right? Like, so we're not having to educate the audience about what Starbucks is. Now, if you have some brand new app that you just created that no one has ever heard of, and now we want to convince people to buy this brand new app that no one's heard of, that's going to be a very different type of a campaign than for a well-established brand. And what I think is so amazing about the host read ad is that you have this capability of really being able to spend some time familiarizing the audience with a product that doesn't feel like it's super canned, right? And so if you had a new app, for instance, that no one had ever heard of in a host read ad, I could say, oh my gosh, I will say, actually, (laughs) I feel like I've had a lot of family traveling on air flights recently. And I'm like, why has it taken me this long to download an app where I can track their flights and like actually see, oh, it took off. Oh, it's in air. Oh, it's landing, right? 
But like, I never thought about that before. If I had heard a host read ad for it, though, maybe I would have thought of it, right? So part of it is having that time in the ad to say, hey, is this a need that you have? Is this a concern that you have? And oh, hey, there's this product that can help you with it. Creating that awareness. Whereas, you know, when you've got a company that's already well-branded, they're not going to need the same approach. So I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? No, I think that's 100% right. And I also think that there's sometimes a real value in a, like, I'll call it a reminder ad for something that maybe uh, the listener viewer has had some experience with. Like I think about the campaign that's been so successful we've run for years with DraftKings, where we would actually, as particular events were coming up, the host would talk about who they were going to bet on for the weekend. Mm-hmm. So maybe mm-hmm. you already have DraftKings or maybe you don't, right? But it meets both needs, right? It's like, oh, maybe I need to log in there, place that bet. I didn't know that fight was happening this weekend. And that has worked for many years. And so that's something where it's like, okay, they already, they may know the product, but we're reminding them to use it and the excitement over and that post-read excitement of it drives that deeper consideration. And so it can be creating this familiarity and the persuasion. It can be reminding, right? that This is a product that you could consider using or maybe you have and should use more of, Mm -hmm. right? And it's exactly what you said. Sometimes, you know, that let's be honest, 60 second or more, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, most of the time they're more. Yeah. Is what you need to Mm -hmm. drive additional sales of even an existing customer as well as a new customer. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So tell me, how do you feel like podcasts work with other advertising vehicles? Because I sometimes feel like, and I know you kind of had alluded to this earlier, we definitely have had brands in this space, right? Like I would say, Obviously, back in the day, you had, you know, the mattress companies that that came out. We've had the Athletic Greens. We've had the Better Helps. I mean, we've had some companies that have invested a lot of dollars into the space. And really, it's almost like they came in with very little brand awareness and they used podcast advertising to kind of catapult the company to the next level. So it, it seems to me sometimes like advertisers put podcast advertising in a bit of a silo. Maybe they don't integrate podcast advertising enough into their overall campaigns. Although I do feel like I'm seeing more and more of that. But tell me, especially since you have so much experience in other advertising, you know, mediums, what is your thought about how to create a podcast campaign that is integrated across, you know, and really it's, it's not about integrating your podcast campaign so much. It's about just creating a cohesive advertising campaign and using podcasts as part of that. So I hope I'm answering your question with like an outlay of like what I'm thinking about in terms of like how what I often do now refer to as shows can integrate into a a campaign in a bigger way. And I think part Mm -hmm. of that is why, you know, I'm pretty invested in the multi-channel because I think that is a reach into people that maybe are I mean, the numbers for YouTube are staggering, right? And so are some of the YouTube, some of the numbers for like Spotify, where they're trying to do more video, but let's just focus on multi-channel, which largely is YouTube. Those are a lot of viewers, necessarily always podcast listeners, but I think we're being able to develop multi-channel shows. And I would even argue that shows that in some cases, maybe they're audio only and some episodes are audio and video, but that's the expansion of all the opportunity of podcast shows. Mm -hmm. And Within that, I think you look at, okay, what does that framework look like? When I think about 
some of the things we're doing with shows and they're multi-channel, I'll refer to the show as the long form, which is the audio video together, whether you want to take it to Trader Joe's and the audio only format, or you want to be watching that interview at home, that's mm -hmm. the long form. But then I'm starting to look at segments, right? And so when we do production and strategy, like we're taking that show and dividing it into segments for that YouTube viewer that's now really watching a podcast slash show and doing some shorter segments within that episode, because maybe that's how they're used to consuming because they're a newer podcast listener. And so we're also putting sponsorships in there. So I'm rethinking how we think about the reach of multi-channel and the experience of the listener viewer. Maybe they haven't dove fully into podcast and the RSS traditional, way, but they're in the video way. And how do we reach that person? How do we make it easier for them? Because they can't take it to Trader Joe's and putting sponsorships in there it allows us to scale up the, uh, the exposure for the sponsor. Think about the best ways to increase the reach across audio and video. And I don't want every show to be audio and video because I think in some cases, the dynamic of the authenticity changes. It depends on the content creator, right? Mm -hmm. But I mm -hmm. think even our conversation might be a little bit different if it's audio only. Not a lot different because I'm very comfortable with you. But for some, it might be very different in a way that I only want audio only for that content creator. When you talk about the opportunity ahead and you see this expansion of, of, of video as part of it, I think we've got an integrated opportunity right here to talk about sh shows, podcasts, the combination of the two together, the additional reach. Mm -hmm. what, what does that mean and how many, how many more eyeballs are we going to be able to reach? Because I think it really strives that we make sure that that content is premium. I don't think those shows are going to be cat videos, right? It's a detailed mm -hmm. level of like what you're trying to execute. And mm -hmm. I think the video and audio together will can bring us to the next stage of like our reach and our campaigns. Mm -hmm. um, that was a little bit of a soapbox, but I do believe in it. I think it's helpful for all of us. And that doesn't mean that everything shifts video. You have to think about the human beings and their experience, right? There's some shows I'll never watch. I'll only listen. I don't know what it is about content creation. You kind of know it when you hear it or see it and you kind of know what's working and what's not. And we'll, as a group, continue to sort of follow that guidance of like kind of knowing what is great content. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and part of it is just watching somebody and saying like, are they actually good on video, right? Oh. Like some people just aren't and some people are just, you know, everybody's going to be a little different. So yeah, I, I think that makes a ton of sense. So what would you say are some mistakes that you have seen advertisers make in the past? You know, just thinking back on all the different campaigns and podcast ads that you've overseen and worked with, what mistakes do advertisers make? I think when I think about, I won't call it mistakes, but understanding the experience of the listener, the viewer is understanding that they may be taking advantage of the multitask opportunity of podcasts. and vanity URLs, attribution, all the different things we try to track can be a very persuasive medium. And the person ends up going home and hearing that and, and Googling it. And so we mm -hmm. have all the things in place to best of our ability that tracks things, but try to understand. I believe that probably don't capture all of the impact that Absolutely. advertising has. And, and that's that education is one that you hope to have built buyer and not every buyer is an avid podcast listener. And so trying to make that 
make that be heard and, and also put all the other layers in there that indicates that these are all the things we want to do to make sure we track success. So that's, that's a big one for me. So would you say it's just more than anything, just a measurement piece that maybe they're not actually measuring the full effectiveness of the campaign and maybe they think they are, but ultimately they're not? Yeah. And the reasons why, right? Mm -hmm. The reality of like what the medium provides for the listener viewer, right? Which is the opportunity to do this while doing something else. And so it's not easy to visit that vanity URL or put that coupon in right away. And I realized that our, you know, our buying communities, really smart people, and they look to make sure that they put protections in place around leaking of codes or other elements. I'm, I'm not saying that they're not very sophisticated because they are. But there's still only so much you can you can capture. And how do we basically voice like what the experience is and the additional value? Easier said than done because I get I can remember being on the buying side, right? I worked in an agency years ago and saying, well, I get it, but we're keeping everything equal. Okay. But I think that's that's the goal that we have to have together. And I will say, like, one of the things I love about the podcast community, and I realize it's getting bigger, and but there is that sort of connectivity between, I think, shows and content creators and sponsors. I'm constantly hearing from my content creators, like they're excited about the sponsorships. Like mm-hmm. they, they like the products, they want to do more. Um, so we have to embrace that while also making sure that we're educating, you know, that buyer, that VP of marketing, you know, that head of the agency, like keep in mind, like we won't want to track all this. Yeah, absolutely. And it, I think that you're you're spot on. I mean, we obviously have attribution tracking software that I think has helped tremendously. But at the end of the day, audio, and I think back even to my radio days, audio is just much more difficult to track than other forms of media because as you said, and I think podcasts in particular, I mean, they're kind of designed to allow you to listen to them while you're doing other things, which means that maybe you aren't going to have that immediate trackable conversion. That doesn't mean that it isn't helping the brand grow. It doesn't mean that it isn't contributing to, you know, sales and things of that nature. So yeah, I, I think you're spot on. Now, gosh, we are getting to the end of our time together. And one of the things that I would love to ask someone, especially in your shoes, um, who has been in the industry for so long, what are some of the predictions that you have for where we're headed as an industry? What advancements do you think are going to be made in the next several years? Oh, do we get an opportunity to uh, even have you answer that one first? I'll take <laughs> all the legwork. But I do, I look, I think I'm very optimistic on two fronts. I think the first one is we are, we're seeing a rebound in the economy in my view. And I think that mm-hmm. some of the struggles that, maybe happened with podcasting. Yes, things got a little bit expensive, but this is what happens in economies of everything, right? The stock market goes up and down, the consumer goods, everyone's trapped at home, they buy everything. Now they don't need any patio furniture. There's too much. Like we've seen this, like it's a cycle for beyond just podcasting, right? Mm -hmm. But the reality is what's not changed is that podcast advertising, in my view, is growing, but also improving. I think that there's more tools, there's more experts like we talked about in terms of being able to help content creators create more compelling shows. I get more questions about cross-marketing every day. um, And I think we're going to do a better job of discovery between podcasts and helping 
great comedy shows find other audiences in comedy and, and really help grow, grow those shows. So my prediction is that we see from our hard work, just continued growth. And then secondly, I think we're going to do a better job across the vehicles of audio and video, like we talked about earlier. I've had shows that have been wildly successful. And some of them I think about, I want to reinvent, which are they do an audio episode only, and they do an audio and video episode. More formats that lean into both. And so we were talking about, well, maybe a show should be audio and video and then others should just be audio. Well, there's times where it should be both. And I think there's times where video aspects of a show could be potentially different and not just mm -hmm. simulcast like an audio show. So I think we're going to see the advancement of how to, how to help the audiences consume the content and that content's going to be improved on where we are today. And it's already very good. Um, and so it'll be a rising tide lifts all boats. Mm -hmm. And we've seen that in the non-host area, like there's continual demand because there's more listening of what is this sort of ev evolution over many years of better talk audio, right? And I didn't beat on it before and I'm not hating on radio, but it got to a point where it was like politics, sports, news, weather updates. And now yep. we are incredibly robust in the offerings. And so that's going to make sense for those that want to dive in to what'll be a bigger pool of people consuming that audio. So that was a very optimistic view of it. Um, and, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats, but that's what I believe. And I think we're, I think we're starting to see it immediately, right? Like I have, I, you know, Rhapsody's new, but the shows that, that I represent out of the gate, they were proven successful, but you know, I've got shows that are sold out until October now. And I don't think it's just my shows. A lot of great content is now seeing a very heavy sell through. Mm -hmm. And we're through the harder times. So that's my view. Yeah, love it. Love it. Well, Mike, thank you so much for coming on the show today. And if people would like to find you, where can they find you? They can find me at Mike at RhapsodyVoices.com um, or you can visit at RhapsodyVoices.com. It's R-H-A-P-S-O-D-Y Voices.com. And I want to say thank you to you, Heather, and also for the many years of education in the space. When I was forming Rhapsody Voices, you're one of the websites I went to and I realized like, this isn't my DNA. It's a DNA I don't think I'm capable of. Like it's a very education DNA for both buyers and sellers and content creators. And I think you've done such a great job over the years and found myself going to this website and sending you an email and, and basically saying this website's fantastic as a resource and I really appreciate everything you've built. Well, thank you, Mike. I, I very much appreciate that. I love the educational piece of it. And I feel like there is so much knowledge that is out there that would, you know, that needs distributing. And so I love being able to facilitate those conversations. So thank you so much for that. Much success to you at your new venture. So thanks. Thanks so much for being on the show with us today. Thank you. And I hope to see you in Denver. Yes, you will for sure. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the podcast advertising playbook, your source to a better understanding of the podcast advertising industry. 